0: This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Ageist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a super age, right? Today's show is brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. Go to slash AGIS, save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, L M N T, my favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to slash agist and receive a free eight serving sample pack with your first purchase. Today's show is also brought to you by Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, MitoPure, the first clinically tested urolithin A supplement, which is showing tremendous results for mitochondrial health. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash AGIST, use the code AGIST at checkout, and save 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Welcome to episode 114 of the Super Age podcast. This will be dropping on December the 21st, 2022. So for those of you who keep track of these sort of things, it is the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of the year. And what I can tell you is, you know, here in the mountains of Utah, uh, it's going down below zero tonight and the winds are something like 30 to 40 miles an hour and we're going to be getting a lot of snow. So it's not a good time to be going for an evening walk, I wouldn't say, but I sort of like having the severe weather outside knowing that I have this like toasty, warm place that I can be, it brings out this sort of, like, hige. You know, hige is the, I believe, the Scandinavian word for sort of, like, warm and cozy. And it was sort of a popular word a few years ago. But I, I, you know, there's just something about, I don't know, something sort of primitive about this cold, blowing, blustery weather going on outside. And then there's a you know, the fireplace inside. And it's, you know, nice and temperate. And it just... I don't know. feels kind of great. This week in the newsletter, I wrote a little bit about how feelings are not facts and how we all have these delusions about ourselves and what we think we're capable of. And in general, these delusions tend to lean towards the self-limiting variety. Like, oh, I can't do that, or I could never learn that, or I'm not one of those people. But then there are others of us— As an example, this week in my ski racing program, I was um, learning to do gates for the first time, and I just thought I was so awesome. I just thought, oh my gosh, think if I would have been doing this for the last 30 years, all the medals I would have been on in the podium, and I'm just such unnatural at this. (laughs) That was my feeling. And the fact was, when I looked at the video of this, I saw somebody who was very much of a novice, not going very fast, sort of skidding and sliding and barely navigating these things in a rather clumsy way. So, you know, what we think is real is not always real. And on that topic, we have on the show this week Dr. Lynn Marie Morsky, and she's an attorney and a physician, and she's head of the Psychedelic Medicine Association. And psychedelic medicine is something that I'm just hearing a lot about from people that are sort of unexpected to be talking about it, um, who are interested in it. And I asked our friend, Dr. Can Vu, who do you know who really knows about this? Who's, who knows what's going on? And he said, well, um, Lynn Marie, speak to her. So we're about to have a, a very interesting conversation with her. And we're going to talk about what's legal, what's not. And her personal experience working with veterans, with psychedelics, um, and then her experience of doing psychedelics herself. And I think what's v- there's some very interesting things that come up in this where she talks about there's the experience and there's the integration of the experience. And how, as I said earlier, like what we think is true may not actually be true, um, and we sort of need to, as I've heard said, shake the snow globe again to see what's really true. And I and there's a bit in here that I find so fascinating. I spoke to some of my other physician friends about this. And they, too, had not thought about this in the same way that neuroplasticity, we think of neuroplasticity as our brain's ability to learn new things, right? So you can change your mind. You can learn new stuff. You can create new neural connections, But the thing is, we only have one nervous system. We don't have multiple nervous systems that do different things. We have one. And this same nervous system that controls our thinking, our emotions, our ability to perceive, also can be damaged. So in here, she talks about this idea of neuroplasticity and healing in terms of also traumatic brain injury, actual brain damage, and how... These psychedelic compounds are neurogenerative. That is, they cause neurons to grow, to connect, and to actually repair damage from traumatic brain injury. And I'd never thought of it that way. I thought that was, this is just like so interesting. So uh, so to be clear, I'm not a doctor. I don't give medical advice. I don't advise. This is totally for your information. I don't advise anyone do things that are illegal or dangerous or anything like that. However, should you want to use these substances, she gives some tips in there about websites you can go to and how to safely interact with them. My understanding is the state of Oregon will very soon, um, I believe in January, that psilocybin will be legal there under certain circumstances. So we're going to get with this in just a second after a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Timeline Nutrition and their breakthrough product, MitoPure. We all know how important mitochondrial energy is and especially maintaining muscle and strength as we age. Urolithin A, which is found in MitoPure, has been clinically proven to increase muscle strength, and endurance with no other changes in lifestyle. Urolithin-A is essentially upgrading your body's cellular power grid, giving your body the energy it needs to optimize. We've been testing Mitopure here with the SuperAge team, and our findings are aligned with those clinical studies. This is a product that I'm going to be taking every day for as long as I can. It's become an essential part of my routine. Timeline is offering listeners of this podcast 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Go to TimelineNutrition.com slash and use the code ageist to get 10% off your order. That's T-I-M-E-L-I-N-E-N-U-T-R-I-T-I-O-N.com slash Maybe check out their starter pack, which has all three formats, and let me know what you think. Today's show is also brought to you by Inside Tracker, the dashboard to your inner health. I've been using Inside Tracker for a few years now, and I'm a big fan of regularly doing blood tests to see, first of all, am I optimizing myself the way I think I am? And second of all, is there something going on that I need to know about right away? Um, you know, back about 12, 13 years ago, I was in my routine physical. And suddenly, luckily, I had a physical at that point in time, my blood platelet level had plummeted, and I found myself in a hospital three weeks later. Now, it was only by luck that I happened to be having a physical at exactly that point. If I had had that physical maybe three months later, some really bad stuff could have happened. Um, so inside Tracker I use to help optimize where I'm at and also to, you know— make sure nothing bad's going on out there to keep myself informed of what is actually going on in my body the other thing i really like about inside tracker is you know there are other blood tests out there that you can take and it'll you know it'll give you levels and say like okay this is where you're at in range out of range but it doesn't tell you like what to do about it with inside tracker it's a food first program um, supplements when needed to help get you back on track It gives you actions where you can actually impact what your inner health is. This is a great platform. This is not a replacement for seeing your physician, which you should do regularly, at least every year. This is an additive. I strongly recommend it. Go to insidetracker.com slash ageist. Save 20% on all their products. Today's show is also brought to you by Element, the electrolyte mix that I've been using to stay hydrated and to keep my electrolytes in balance. I started placing Element electrolyte mix into my water after my workouts on the recommendation of a friend of mine who's a 50-time Ironman competitor. I told him that I was having a lot of trouble recovering from my workouts, and I thought it was my age. And it turned out it was my electrolytes. And once I started putting Element into my water, I noticed an incredible difference in my ability to recover from my workouts. It went from, I mean, truthfully, an hour or two to like 10 minutes. Um, because the problem was my electrolytes were off. Now what I do is I put element in my water when I get up first thing in the morning. I also have it in my water that I drink during the day. And then, of course, at the gym, I make sure that there's element in my water. And, of course, in my beloved sauna, the same thing, element in the water. So it turns out that some of that brain fog and just muscle ache and sluggishness that I was feeling was not age-related. It was actually electrolyte related we talk a lot about hydration on this podcast but the electrolyte mix within that water is really critical right now element is offering listeners of this podcast a free sample pack with any purchase that's eight single serving packets free with any element order it's a great way to try out all eight flavors and share element with a salty friend get yours at drinkelementcom slash ages this deal is only available through this link You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash ageist. We'll be leaving that link in the show notes, too. After you check it out, let me know what you think about it. Did it make the change for you that it did for me? Hey, Lynn Marie, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm so excited to have you on.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here. This is a whole different type of, of podcast audience than I usually have. So so hi, Aegis listeners. Hey.
0: <laughs> so um, you're in, well, you know a lot about psychedelics. I try. Um, <laughs> so t- tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background?
1: Uh I am from a small town in southern Illinois, raised by a very conservative family. Have no background personally in using cannabis or alcohol for a lot of years, and um, initially was a video editor and multimedia designer, and then eventually went into medicine. And some point in uh, my years in medicine, I ended up at the Veterans Administration, the VA. And I worked there for nine years and somewhere in the middle of that, I am around 35 years old at this point, still no experience with cannabis or anything else like psychedelics. And I experienced psychedelic healing for the first time. Didn't know that was a thing. I had just taken a psychedelic and had all of these therapeutic realizations and thought, "Hmm, that's interesting. Didn't know that would happen. Didn't think much about it. Tried a few more psychedelics over the years, similar experiences. And then um, about four years later, I found out that psychedelic science was an entire field of research. And then I got a little deeper into psychedelics, had my first ayahuasca experience, realized, oh, this is exactly what a lot of the veterans I'm seeing could benefit from. But I am not allowed to tell them about it. And also if the VA found out I was doing illegal substances would probably not be thrilled. So in 2019, after nine years at the VA, I quit and I made it my mission to spread the word about psychedelics to others. Um, in that same period of time, I did go to law school and uh, somewhere, some I guess before that whole journey started. So I technically am a physician and an attorney and I worked in politics and a lot of other fields, but they all kind of uh, coalesce together now in the work that i'm doing because getting psychedelic medicines to patients will require medical knowledge will require changes in the legal system will require politicians to come together so that's basically how i got here
0: Uh, you said you had a psychedelic healing experience could you describe what that was
1: sure absolutely um going totally against everything you've ever heard or maybe never heard because maybe this is your first introduction to psychedelics, but we always talk about set and setting are very important for you to have an optimal psychedelic experience. Well, I didn't know anything about that and it was my first time doing a psychedelic, but this was at Burning Man. And um, I took some LSD, no idea the quantity, didn't know what quantity would have been therapeutic or not. Again, had no idea that it could be therapeutic. Just took some and then I went out for the evening at Burning Man and I was dancing and I'm, I'm a dancer, but I, I look over and I was like, wow, I'm dancing really low. Like I'm able to get really low to the ground. And I looked at myself at the same, and I was like, I look a little tanner than I usually do. Oh, it looks nice. Right. And, um, I think there was one other kind of nice thought I had about myself throughout the night and uh oh yeah i thought i looked thinner than average and like thinner than i usually do so i'm like oh i look tan and thin and my dance moves are going really well and um it was coming to the end of the night and i'm in a porta potty and somebody has been so unkind as to have affixed a mirror to the inside of that porta potty so as i see that the porta potty door is slamming shut and i'm about to look in the mirror after like 6 hours of being out all night and dancing i was braced for seeing like an atrocious monster like makeup's going to be everywhere i'm going to look like a hot mess and it slams shut and I see my face in the mirror and I do not look bad. Like, and in that moment, it all gelled for me that all night LSD had been showing me how other people see me. Like, I'm significantly more harsh on myself than anybody else is on me. And that was the first kind of like Healing therapeutic realization I had. And it was it was that kind of lesson I kept learning over and over when I would do psychedelics is something that, you know, I'm sure a therapist at some point in time could have said to me, Oh, Lynn Marie, you know, you're your worst critic, right? We've said we've heard this a million times. But when you hear a different person say it versus experiencing it through your own psyche, it has a different effect. And so that's that's just a a sample like of, of the first time I had a a healing or therapeutic experience through psychedelics
0: and how many years ago was that
1: nine
0: so that realization has stayed with you for nine years
1: oh i mean i remember it do i did i just run before you and i recorded and put on way too much makeup because i was like oh he's gonna record video Uh, (laughs) yes yes So like, this is the thing is you can get realizations and therapeutic thoughts, but that brings up quite the point that you didn't mean to segue into, but thanks anyway, is integration because psychedelics on their own are not that effective unless you integrate the lessons that you have learned, right? Like I could be told, ah, you know, everybody else is looking at you with kinder eyes than you are. I could reject that. Right. My nervous system could continue to not actually feel that. I could still be freaked out anytime. I'm like, oh, is my hair a mess or what? You know, like that's why the integration and different modalities of integration is such a crucial portion because you can learn, you know, you can learn lessons all day long. It's just like math. If you learn the Pythagorean theorem, you could get it. If you never practice it, are you going to, you know, remember that how to do it when it comes time? No. So that's why you really need to, to integrate after these experiences so they become part of your normal train of thought and that your, re- your nervous system reacts accordingly.
0: Okay. I got to ask the question. Um, integration. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like?
1: It can look a number of different ways. And I have to say that like, we kind of throw it out generically. Um, thank goodness that people are starting to quantify it because not all modes of integration are equal. People are like, do yoga and journal. Sure. Um, that may work for some people. I have tried all that. It doesn't necessarily do it for me. Uh, therapy has been found to be one of the most effective modes of integration. So actually going back to some person you know, trained in having this discussion showing them or telling them what you saw, what you experienced and discussing what that might mean and how, like if I had, after that LSD experience, had a therapist I could go to and say like, I learned this lesson. Then, you know, in subsequent stories that I might be telling her, she may be, Hey, remember that LSD lesson? Then she could like bring it up and we could, you know, integrate it more. So therapy is a really important part of integration. Uh, And then, you know, this is my kind of personal take on it is that somatic therapy, which is a you know, newer type of therapy, but definitely under discussed and so useful. Uh, I think that's what really gets it into the nervous system. A lot of people like myself are really in their heads, kind of dissociated from their bodies, right? And our nervous system just never gets the message. Somatic therapy helps drive that message from our heads into our like nervous system so that, yeah, I can know all day long. I shouldn't be anxious like a bear is chasing me when I have an email that I have to open, but my nervous system has not gotten that message, right? So somatic therapy works to kind of drive that healing further into your body to have more of a felt sense of it. So I would say, you know, therapy and somatic therapy or whatever therapy type works for you is probably the the cornerstone of integration. Another thing that's just important is in the integration period, not to just jump so far back into your normal life that like any of that afterglow and that openness you have just gets beaten right out of you, or you get maybe kind of, you're a little bit emotionally raw and then you have to go right back to work and your boss yells at you or something like easing back in after a journey is another uh, important part of that.
0: So I'm not that familiar with somatic therapy. Um, Could you just give us a quick description of what that is?
1: There are a number of different types and I'm not a somatic therapist and I'm definitely not an expert on it and absolutely took me over a year to find a somatic therapist. So it's kind of hard. But for example, in our sessions, sometimes we talk, we can do talk therapy, that's an option, but some other times she does a a practice called Hakomi, um, but I'll like lay on the bed and she'll kind of say some things that bring me into a little bit more of a, and by it's not at all hypnotization, but like brings me into, you know, a different kind of brainwave state where I'm going in and she's, you know, it's kind of like, what part of your body is speaking to you right now? And this all sounds really, you know, woo woo. But let me tell you, like things come up that might have been hidden otherwise, and you like can't access them just by asking what's bothering you, right? Like sometimes you don't know. And it'll be like, okay, right now my heart is thumping really hard. And then she'll be like, okay, look inward. what is it saying to you? And it's amazing the things that it will quote unquote say to me when I ask it, you know? And And so then we'll go through some breathing exercises until it calms down. And it's, Part of it is just improving the relationship I have with my body so that it doesn't, you know, I'm not telling it to act one way and it's responding another. We're working more in concert.
0: Brilliant. I love that. Um, so, and you mentioned, I feel like every time you say something, I just want to ask you more questions about it. Um, that, that works. So you, it's so you said set and setting. <laughs> yes. And so we had someone on about a year ago who, um, an MD who runs Ketamine Clinic. And set and setting, very important. So she has people go into a float tank for a couple of hours, comes out, sits in a room with a therapist. Someone's with them talking all the time um, so that that is part of the thing. So a- assuming that, um, well, I'm going to say, like taking LSD at Burning Man is not clinically indicated too often anyway. Um
1: It is probably not the optimal setting,
0: (laughs) but you know, doesn't mean
1: that it's not, I mean, absolutely. It can be the perfect setting for some people. It does not have a lot of the elements of a good setting that I since, you know, I have since decided that is not my jam, but yes, it's not not the typical.
0: Before we get into what these substances are, what, what would you say would be like an appropriate set and setting and who are you doing this with? And what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So there are two things we're going to discuss here because there's psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, which is the very clinical version. And mm-hmm. then there's the fact that people are going to do this on their own. And very often they will have fine results doing it on their own. But if they are, we want to look at something called harm reduction because the clinical is going to be set up for harm reduction. That's the standard, right? Like everything there is, okay, we've got the medical equipment nearby. We've got the proper, right? Facilitators who've got the training, Uh, we're not going to be able to stop people from doing this on their own more cheaply, et cetera, illegally, all of the things. Right. And so in that instance, we're looking at harm reduction. Um, so like, I'm trying to remember exactly what you asked. Was it like proper setting,
0: proper set and setting,
1: exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. setting in a clinical setting is trying to make something that is clinical look as, as not clinical as possible. So soft furniture, dim lights, um, not the hospital bed looking thing, right? A couch, something that doesn't say like, I'm in a very clinical place, right? Something that seems maybe like familiar and comfortable like your home and maybe bringing in things that were, you know, little things that remind you of home. Um, some flowers that you have on a vase that you like or whatever, you know, just things that that are nice and calming and comforting to you. Um, but that that setting is already going to be safe. So that's not quite an issue. You know, they just want to make it feel more homey. Whereas if you're doing it at home on your own, that's why we talk about, you know, Burning Man, is that a safe place? No, I could have gotten lost. It's, you know, there's 70,000 people. I could have ended up dehydrated somewhere. There's no lights. This is at night. I could have gotten run over by a bike. You know, like there's all kinds of things that could have happened in that scenario. Thank goodness. I was with friends. Um, But then that brings up, you know, who should be with you clinical setting, you're already going to have your therapist there with you. But at a home setting, ideally you would do it with somebody else. And ideally that person will be a trained guide. That's a lot to ask, especially Hey friend, I'm going to do a psychedelic journey. It's eight hours. Will you just sit there with me? Like that is a lot. So we know that that is a big ask, but maybe somebody in your group does less, you know, or maybe you guys take turns or something like that. And if things go awry, there is one psychedelic peer support line. It's called Fireside Project and you dial 6-2 Fireside or you use the Fireside Project app. If things go awry in any direction, you can write to them and say, I'm having this struggle, um, this kind of thing. So you, there, there are, are kind of some backup harm reduction methods you can use there and you can call them even days later for integration support, et cetera. So that's setting, right? You want a place safe, um, a place that feels comfortable to you. And then mind, the set part is mindset. You want to go in with the most calm mindset possible. You don't want preferably like you don't have a fight with your spouse and then go directly into your psychedelic thing, because then that that is gonna hijack the healing, right? It's like that's all your brain's gonna be able to focus on. And that might not be actually what the healing, what what you needed to focus on in your healing session. And also psychedelics generally amplify whatever emotion you're having. And so instead of being able to go in and do deep work, if you're already anxious, it might just make you more anxious kind of thing. And so it's best to go in with, you know, like you said, your previous guests had them do a float tank. And and that's if the float tank works for people, right? Like some people with anxiety don't want to be left alone with their thoughts and no sounds for two hours. Um So ask them what would bring you in a nice, you know, for me, it might be singing in the shower for 30 minutes and then my head's nice and clear and I'm full of endorphins and then I could do it, you know, so maybe making it nice and personalized as to what would bring their into, them into a nice calm mindset. Uh,
0: so let's, let's just talk about some of the compounds, sure. um, if that's okay. So and it, um, it would. I mean, we had a discussion early on before we get on about the cl- the classical descriptions, but, um, I think maybe we can break them into the, um, currently legally used in a medical setting, and those less so. Um,
1: yes, that would be very easy to do because there's only one currently available available in a legal setting as of December fourteenth, twenty twenty two. What's that? Ketamine.
0: Okay. And MDMA is not?
1: No. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. Okay.
1: It is in phase 3 trials. And so it is hopefully on the list for FDA approval by about 2024.
0: Awesome. So um and MDMA is also known as ecstasy? Yes. MDMA oh, cool. is the
1: active ingredient in ecstasy.
0: And then there's been a lot of talk around psilocybin. Lately, yes. Which is a form of mushroom. Um
1: Yes, is the active ingredient in psilocybe mushrooms, and it will be legal for adult use in Oregon in 2023 via <laughs> a certain model where you go to a licensed distributor, and then well, actually you go to a licensed center. They've gotten the mushrooms from a, a licensed grower, and then there's a licensed facilitator there, and you take the mushrooms on site. So that is what it looks like at this point. Um, will it roll out January 1st? It, it will not. They are still, you know, getting everything up to speed and they have to train enough people and get all the licenses for the growing and all those things. And so it, it probably won't be hitting the ground, you know, January 1st, but sure, I mean, that's technically when that program does go live. And so, and Colorado is not too far behind it, I think maybe 2024. Um, so yeah, psilocybin is uh, and also it's been decriminalized in, in cities like Denver, um, Santa Cruz, Seattle, Detroit, like a lot of places have decriminalized natural psychedelics. Uh, just for clarification, decriminalization is different from legalization. It generally just means that it's lowest priority on for the law enforcement. Legalization means you can like sell it and tax it and that kind of thing.
0: Um, and then there's, you know, a couple of other compounds, um, LSD that you took,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which I think was, I want to say back in the 50s or 60s was used clinically.
1: Maybe? Yeah, yeah, they were they definitely a lot of these had a period of clinical use before prohibition,
0: mm. and and then DMT,
1: DMT and LSD are all I believe in phase one trials.
0: Oh, okay, very good. And and what's the um, is DMT? What is in ayahuasca? Is that
1: right? Yes, yes, it is one of the the two ingredients in ayahuasca. There's a one. There are two plants that come together, and the one has the ayahuasca, and the other one has the like MAOI inhibitor type thing that allows it to be active in our body for a prolonged period of time.
0: Uh, um, and I I don't, well, not since college have I done anything like this, but <laughs> that was another, another life. Um, but I've heard, um, I know people who take DMT fairly regularly um, and describe that as a very brief but incredibly intense experience
1: that is accurate. <laughs> okay. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> okay,
0: I'm just curious. Uh so, you know, which brings me to sort of this um the sort of time element with mm-hmm. these. So, the, the the um you know, I don't know, DMT I think was like 10 or 15 minutes.
1: Yeah. Um yeah, if they smoke it Yeah.
0: Pretty pretty fast, but um I think ketamine is more I think ketamine is even IV. I think it's 20 minutes, is that right?
1: Something like that? No, it's more like 45 to an hour and a half.
0: Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it but depends on the
1: dose you give, but yeah, that's generally the, the arc.
0: And LSD is, um, longer.
1: More like 10 hours.
0: 10 hours. So I guess, um, oh, and I want to tell you, I, I, uh, this word that I read, which I just loved. Oh yeah. Yeah. Neuroplastogens, <laughs> not hallucinogens, neuroplastogens. Yes. Do you, do you, um, does that sound like an accurate description of this? Class of compounds?
1: It does. It does. A number of them act through, so we will break that word down. Um, Neuroplasticity. A neuroplastogen is something that increases neuroplasticity, which many of these do. Um, We just recorded a podcast for my uh, the Psychedelic Medicine podcast yesterday where we had on, uh, if anybody saw in Outside Magazine, the the article that said, Jim Harris was paralyzed, then he ate magic mushrooms. We had him on the podcast with a uh, physician who does spinal cord injury rehabilitation with patients. And the the discussion was, you know, is this because of the neuroplastic window that psychedelics can reopen? Is that some of Jim's, you know, um neurons were able to start firing in a way they hadn't fired since his accident, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think that's a really accurate description. There's a number of things that psychedelics do, um, but increasing neuroplasticity definitely does help. Um, because you're changing the way that your brain functions. And so think about things like depression, where your brain has been in a veritable rut for a long time. So, you know, switching up the, the function and how it's firing can be very helpful.
0: Um, so I'm going to ask you to look into the crystal ball um, about the future. That as some of these things become legal, um, I know that um, ketamine is has been used fairly effectively for PTSD and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, probably some other things I don't know about, um, but what would you see? Um, you know, what, what what would be the the sort of clinical application? And then we can talk about things like if you wanted um, in Oregon, just go in and like sort of explore yourself more, I guess. Um, but w- what would you see these things used for clinically? But. Uh,
1: yeah, so there's two different groups of things that I think they'll be helpful for. One is the mental health conditions that very often have trauma at their core. Most of the and and it may not be like a big T trauma like I was in war. It could be uh the trauma of living in poverty or the tra- trauma that comes from racism. Or it could be the trauma of being uh told every day you're not good enough by a parent, right? Like that ends up leaving the the a core belief that is you know, not functioning for you in some way. And that limiting, it's like a limiting belief that's like, I'm not good enough. That could be the cause of depression. Um, I'm unlovable, all kinds of things that we say to ourselves. Um, So diseases on the mental health side that have trauma or limiting beliefs or that kind of thing at their core are a huge area that I think these are going to be helpful for. And Johns Hopkins recently did a survey and the results have not been published yet but i saw it, uh professor johnson speak on it recently and essentially it was a survey and it said most people doing most psychedelics for most conditions it works and and so there there you know it wasn't like oh this one is specifically better for this and this one is specifically better for this like a wide range of psychedelics was helping a wide range of mental conditions that very often have some trauma or limiting belief at their core. So I think that's one big area in the crystal ball that we'll see efficacy of psychedelics uh, play a big role in. And the other is now they're expanding into physical realm. And so we're looking at things like cluster headaches. Uh, my favorite uh, is DMT for stroke because DMT has been shown to cause neurogenesis, so regrowth of neurons. Oh, wow. So yeah, if you imagine that you've got somebody who's lost some neurons in a stroke, and then they can right. do the MT, and like you said, it is short acting. So you can give it IV, you can turn it on, turn it off pretty quickly. Well, think about like how helpful that could be, and so that's that you know. So we're not just doing things in the mental health realm, but very often there's still a nerve component. You know, cluster yeah. headaches, there's something neural going on there. D- the strokes, there's something neural going on, and so you know. Will there be like psychedelics for asthma someday? Uh, Unsure, right? Like these things, there's so many things that still have to be investigated. But I'd say right now, mental health conditions with trauma at their core and physical conditions that have a relation to uh, neurology are probably the two most promising areas.
0: You know, when I read that term, neuroplastogen, I was not thinking of that in the physical realm. But duh.
1: (laughs) Pretty helpful in that physical realm. Billy me.
0: (laughs) <laughs> um, we, I had somebody on, um, a while ago, um, mental health professional, and she said that all of us carry three central core delusions about ourselves. And because they are central and they are core delusions, we're, we just, it's like, we're, we're don't have the capacity to like, sort of think ourselves out of this. And it was interesting what you were, you were describing your experience. It's suddenly. You saw yourself as other people saw you, so that core delusion that you had, or you know, a minor perhaps, yeah. you know, um, seemed to be to dissipate. And that this, as I'm thinking about this, what you were describing, um, this uh, trauma, um, you know, thinking, or somebody tells you, you know, your parents told you you were dumb your whole childhood, and so that's sort of like wired into your head. And this sort of shakes the snow globe and lets that go away. Did I get that right?
1: Yes. In fact, shakes the snow globe is the exact quote from Dr. Robin Carhart-Harris when he talks about the method that most of these function by, which is we have something called the default mode network, which is that kind of that. Monkey mind rumination that's always going on in our head, usually mm. not saying the nicest things. I wish my monkey mind was like, "You're amazing, you're amazing," right? It's just not what it says all day long. <laughs> <Why>? Can <laughs> I have that monkey mind? Right, amazing. <laughs> I I'll take that, that upgrade one. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and if you're you know suffering from severe depression, your monkey mind is maybe saying like, "This isn't worth living. This is never going to get better," right? And so psychedelics increase connectivity, and they kind of reset the default mode network. And Dr. Robin Carder always kind of says it's like shaking the snow globe. He said, imagine that you're in, you know, you sled down the same sled path every single day. That gets into a major rut. The only way that you're going to get out of that rut is to have that, you know, shake that snow globe to where everything is flat again. And then your sled can go down a better path. And so that absolutely is a is a great analogy for the way that psychedelics are thought to work.
0: And but is there remission? So You know, do I need to um, redo the treatment or is there a a series of treatments? Is there a protocol here so that we don't slip back into I love this, the default mode, which default node or default default mode
1: network, default
0: mode network? Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Um,
0: So that we don't slide back into that. What's the thought on that?
1: Well, so it varies widely, right? So the PTSD trials that they're doing now, they're showing that people are still better a year later, but we don't have, you know, 10 years out data, but a lot of people that we know that have had, you know, serious PTSD, they're significantly better after that first uh, experience. However, there are things that, you know, I'm thinking of Marcus Capone here. He's one of the founders of Vets Inc., which is a veterans organization that does incredible work with um, veterans with PTSD and traumatic brain injury after his, you know, he had extreme healing after his first ceremony, but he still does a number of things every day to maintain it. Meditation, Mm. breath work, all, you know, a lot of these things that stimulate the vagus nerve, which keep us in parasympathetic and out of fight or flight. And so it's, not that you do it once and you don't have to do any maintenance. And then for things like uh, depression with ketamine or psilocybin, you know, they're they're showing that they last for, you know, they can last up to six months, but very often they need to be done again, or you need to have some kind of booster. And so, while it's much more durable than your average, you know, you don't have to take two every morning or however the, the saying goes, but you may have to revisit them again. You know, there's. New traumas can come in. There's all, you know, all kinds of things can happen. There are some people that it may be look like, one and done. They've looked at their trauma. It's no longer scary to them because that's um with MDMA, the MDMA specifically takes the fear center of the brain offline a little bit so that you can look at the trauma with new eyes. And then maybe it's not so terrifyingly terrible anymore. And so maybe you only need to do that once, and that's completely rewired your brain. So it's it's really individualized and varies also um, by compound and condition.
0: I could you foresee something like like once a year I go to my doctor and he does my blood work and he says okay you're doing well um but then please go in the other room we're going to reset your brain for another year.
1: I mean if he does a depression scale that shows you need it or ah. an anxiety scale that shows you need it right like I don't I don't see necessarily a not that I don't see utility but I you know first off we want these to be covered by insurance right and so if you're Infinitely wealthy, you can walk in the doctor and say, "I want an MRI every year to say make sure I don't have cancer, or a PET scan every year to make sure I don't have cancer anywhere." Right? Like, yeah, the Uber wealthy can demand whatever they want, but it, you know, to get even getting these um, covered, you probably have to have an indication. So that's that's yeah. another conversation. Is like you said, you know, going into Oregon, you don't have to have an indication. You can just say, "I want to explore my brain," which is great. You know, so I don't know that your doctor is going to say, "Hey, let's prescribe you a brain exploration once a year," and insurance is going to cover it. But if you say you had, you know, ketamine for depression once and the ketamine, uh, it's a six series generally for depression. So you do it six times in like a three or four week period. And then six months later, you do the depression scale again, and you're back to where you were, then yeah, they probably say, let's, let's go back in. So it's less of a time thing and more of a, how are your symptoms?
0: I see. Um, I I guess I'm thinking, um, I I don't know, there's that word. I think we use the word upgrade. And um, like, if I just I, I take vitamins, I do other things to sort of keep myself healthy and keep me, you know, David's best version of David. Yeah. And like, I'm what I'm thinking here is uh, every year we accumulate some like sort of emotional damage or trauma or you know things, and then I could just be like, oh okay, let's um, you know, I'm gonna walk into this lab here and her facility clinic and. Upgrade myself for the year.
1: Right. But why wait for the year? Okay. Like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, may and and then, like, because a year is arbitrary. That's my point. Yeah. Like, I just if made that has, up. If, yeah. If you have a significant trauma six months after your last ceremony, maybe it's time for another ceremony. If, on the other hand, you do a ceremony, you have the best three years of your life. Do you need to, I mean, you may not need some kind of like, there's no guarantee. This is what I want to hear. Let me thank you for like, let me put a fine point on this. There is no guarantee every journey is going to be. Positive. There is no guarantee that you're going to get something out of it. At some point, there might be just diminishing. Like there, if you do psilocybin, like by your thoughts, I'll just do it every weekend. I just why wouldn't I just level up and level up and level up? Well, right. at some point in time that we're not sure how, you know w- where there's diminishing returns. We do know where like there is not an addictive potential of psilocybin, but there can be abuse potential, right? If you kind of checked out of life because all you're ever doing is tripping. So I would just say, like, you know, what I go by personally and what i'd recommend is you'll you know you get a sense of like man i've been feeling more struggle i really think it's time to reach out and try something that resets things and that could be uh three months six months later or it could be two years later and so i you know i i would just not necessarily go for it on a schedule i would just say more when you feel called because then it sets up the expectation i'm going to go every year and i'm going to get leveled up of course because we know it works and we know it's going to level up that's that's putting a lot Mm. of expectation onto something that May not like think about if you've never had a psychedelic experience or it's been years and then you have one, like, and they show in the Johns Hopkins studies, these people who took it for end of life anxiety, they rated it as one of the five most important spiritual experiences of their life. Well, if they do it six times, what is that going to just take all top five? And like, you know, like at some point, like you. Is it always that significant when you do it over and over? I mean, it's it's hard to say how many realizations you can have, et cetera, et cetera. So just uh, that's a lot of pressure to put on the medicine and you and your brain and your neurotransmitters and the therapist who's working with you. So just maybe like have a more nuanced view of when you need to go back in.
0: Um, You use the word bad trip. And I, I,
1: if I did, I did not mean to. Challenging trip is what I should have challenging
0: said. Challenging trip. Um, so I know people who have described to me um you know back when lsd was sort of the thing to do in college um or more recently when people would do ayahuasca in the jungle um that they had some rather challenging experiences
1: Mm -hmm. it's very common um because and that's why i say it's not a bad trip imagine that you're doing something where you might have to go deep into your psyche to look at the core of what's causing maybe decades of mental struggle. You think that's going to be just a walk in the park and like, oh, angels are going to be like, look at this little problem. Now just throw it out the window. And we're gone. No, probably is going to require you to go through some challenging levels of mental protection that have been carved over decades to like keep you from finding it and digging it out because maybe that's even part of your identity right like and very often and, and we you started to get to this but we we went away so I forgot to mention when we were talking about those like three core delusions you were talking about right yeah those are probably parts of your identity and yes. what very yeah what very often <laughs> happens in in something really strong like an ayahuasca journey is that you have something called ego disillusion so mm. you no longer are your identity. And so do you know how hard your brain fights that it feels like death to it? Like it's called ego death, but your ego feels like it's actually dying. Right. And so it's that necessarily super fun. Not always, you know, so Mm. some things are very challenging, but very often it's those challenging things that lead to the most healing, which is why we don't call it a bad trip. It could be the most successful therapeutic journey for you, but it felt challenging at the time, you know, like to fix your arm. Surgery during surgery does not feel great, but this is spiritual surgery. Afterward, your arm should be fixed. Afterward, hopefully it was worth the challenge of that journey to experience the healing.
0: Um, Let's talk about something that's maybe not so much about healing, or maybe you can correct me on this, um, microdosing, which people seem to be doing to increase performance of one kind.
1: Well, they're using it for... Some use it to increase performance. Absolutely. Many others are using it for healing. Hmm. So a lot of people are using it. And by the way, I will not... Do not cite me on any microdosing things. I am not giving you medical advice or legal advice on this show. But people are using it to get off antidepressants. because you know, SSRIs are are serotonin reuptake inhibitors and something like psilocybin works on the serotonin receptors. So there's, you know, some some overlap in how they work. And so, you know, that makes sense for why it could work. Um same thing is that like if you take it over and over and over, it probably stops working. That's, you know, common with these non-addictive drugs. Um and it's not like, oh, I take more and it works more. It's really not how psilocybin works. Psilocybin isn't even weight-based. So like your body, your BMI does not adjust or does not affect how much you should be taking. So yeah, people are taking that for different reasons. And the, the studies are really mixed. Um, there's a study that we featured the uh, one of the authors on my podcast, but it showed that the placebo effect was just as strong as the actual microdosing. So if you believed your microdosing was going to work, it would. And that's the thing that's not checked out enough in a lot of these studies is the very important placebo effect. And then others show that it has, you know, minor improvements in this direction or that direction, but there hasn't, there just haven't been enough studies. And most people who are microdosing are doing so because they think it's going to work. So it's like impossible to, to tease out that placebo effect from the anecdotal evidence you hear from your friends. So that's why it's like, we need much more research, power to the people who are doing it and that it's working for them. Um, a reminder that there actually is a potential cardiac issue with some very long-term microdosing. And so it's should not be like nobody who recommends microdosing, none of the Paul Stamets, none of the um, James Fadiman of the world, I don't think recommend that you do it ad nauseum forever. They each have protocols. And then, you know, at least James Fadiman said, then you you do it for a month not like you do it forever. And so, you know, maybe you do it for a month and then the the effects wear off a few months later, you do it for another month, right? Same thing with the the larger journey. So there's just needs to be more data. If it's working for you, great. Um, I, would, I would not recommend anybody get off their antidepressants without consulting with their doctor. Um, but that's also why I founded the Psychedelic Medicine Association to educate doctors so that when you come to your doctor and say, I would like to microdose to get off my antidepressants, they know what you're talking about and they feel comfortable having that conversation with you. Because, uh well
0: wait 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 we got to yeah. back this up for a second. Okay. Give it to me. So, if I go to my doctor mm-hmm. and I say um hello doctor, um I think that microdosing would be really good for me. I'd like your blessing. Um we're talking about an illegal substance. Like how do I even get it? How do I like how does that all We happen? I wouldn't
1: say you ask for their blessing. Um, this is an instance where you've already decided you're going to do it and you say, I'm going to do this thing. Um, well, especially in Oregon, because Oregon might be legal, right? I, I don't know that they've come out with exactly what microdosing is going to look like, but I know it's in the discussions, right? So let's say you're doing it in Oregon. Um, they're not prescribing it to you, but you're coming to them for, if you're coming to a doctor to help you get off antidepressants. The antidepressant okay. taper is a, like a harm reduction technique, right? Cause if you just stop antidepressants, there can be some terrible side effects. So you go to your doctor and say, help me reduce my harm when I taper off antidepressants. Well, most of what we're trying to educate doctors on as far as psychedelics, there's two things. It's one, when to tell patients, Hey, this is indicated for you, you're depressed, try ketamine, um, Also, we want to tell them when it's not indicated, oh, you have a cardiac arrhythmia, do not try ibogaine. But we also want to educate them just on basic harm reduction. And so we're we're forming a course for doctors in Oregon to know when their patients come in and say, I want to do psilocybin. They can look at their medicines and say, okay, let's see if there's anything on your list that psilocybin is contraindicated with. And let's see if there's any conditions you have, you know, valvular issues or anything else that it may make worse. And then they might say, okay, look, no, it does not appear this will be a risk for you. That's all the doctor has to say. They're not aiding and abetting at this point, which is what in the rest of the country they cannot do. They can educate and they can do risk management kind of things. And so if you go to your doctor, let's say in Oregon and say, I want to get off my antidepressants and I want to start, you know, microdosing, we want to educate them to have that discussion with you.
0: And are you finding that, uh, the focus of the education on doctors is in state of Oregon, because that's, this is where, um, with psilocybin.
1: You mean am I finding it, or am I, am I making well, it? Well, because, is that
0: where your focus is? Like, if you came to Utah and wanted to talk to doctors about psychedelics, like I, I, I don't know what. Well, what our organization is global.
1: Like. Okay. So yeah we have over a thousand people from across the world. Um. So by no means do we have more people from Oregon than other places. It's just dispersed on normal pop you know population and also kind of North America predominant at this point. But we are focusing our first course on Oregon because those are the doctors that are going to be asked. The action. They're the ones that, like you said, can actually have right. a more substantiated conversation because the patient isn't like, hey, I'm going to go do this illegal thing. They're like, hey, I'm going to this licensed facility next door. Can I do this? And so we, right. You know, doctors from across the country can take that course so that if patients do come in and ask that legal or not, they can be prepared. But, you know, we do want the doctors of Oregon to be specifically prepared because this is coming to them on a large and- scale.
0: And as far as the, the rest of the country, um, as far as what is that, what does an education outreach look like to a physician outside of Oregon?
1: So if they, you know, and if I had, and if somebody in your lovely audience wants to come and and tell us how to do this, but like marketing to doctors to tell them they have to learn about a thing they don't know exists is a difficult marketing ploy, right? Like. Doctors, you've never heard of psychedelic medicine. You need to come learn about it. Pay to join our organization. It's kind of a, it's like, it, especially, you know, many doctors grew up in the just say no era like I did right. or grew up in my parents' time where they the 60s was what you did. You tuned in and you turned on and you dropped out instead of healing, right? So what we do is, you know, it's it's really our mission to get to those doctors who've never heard of psychedelics and try to educate them. We have, you know, the way we educate them is we have a monthly newsletter that sends the latest five or six articles in psychedelic science from that month. Every month we have a members only webinar where we get experts from the field to come in and do a deep dive in one specific area. And then the members can interact with those experts. Um, We have journal clubs, we have private groups where they can discuss with the experts. So we have, you know, over a thousand clinicians and 90 plus organizations from across the psychedelics field all working together to educate each other at this point because it's i mean this is all very new right and the reason that i formed the organization is if you expect a doctor who's been handing out you know antidepressants and therapy to their let's say patients with depression and maybe nothing else forever and then you have to can you know first off you got to tell them ketamine exists that's that's available now we have to get that message to them now but if they've never heard of a psychedelic and then all of a sudden mdma is approved in 2024 and somebody shows up maybe you know a drug rep from maps shows up at their door it's maps is the organization that's that's got the um that's doing the studies and they said here we suggest you give your patients basically ecstasy that's going to be such a harder sell if they have no basis that psychedelics are healing. Right. And so we're trying to get doctors ready for when these things are FDA approved, just starting that education here. This is what the studies show. Let's start, you know, chipping away at that stigma so that they're much more prepared when a legal option is available.
0: I see. Okay. Gotcha. So um t- telling people like, when is this indicated? When is it not indicated? What are the contraindications? What are the things we need to look out for? In the same way that you would with, you know, I don't know, something else.
1: Yeah. Like any new drug, right? Like if you're yeah, exactly. we talking, this is a new statin or something, you know, that's right. the same, the same things, except for there just isn't a stigma on statins and we already know what statins are. Right. So we're coming to them, maybe saying like, Hey, you know, that thing that you thought would just like make you trip and jump out of a window, like with right. the MK ultra experiments, like PS, no, actually that's going to cure your depression. Right. Like what whatever kind of the extreme different thought PS cure. I only said, because like literally that they're showing, you know, such remission with things like PTSD.
0: Right.
1: So there, you know, it's such a paradigm shift that there's just so much more education that needs to go into it than just like, oh, you're already familiar with statins. Here's just the latest statin, right? Like, so yes, all the indications and contraindications, but also just, and, and, and the, like we talked about at the very beginning, you don't have to educate doctors on how to tell uh, patients how to take a statin. We know how to put a pill in and swallow it, right? Nothing to it. Psychedelics, you have to do preparation. You have to do integration. Like it's not take two of these and call me in the morning. It's hey, you need to take a week off work to like recover and do integration. Like it's such a different paradigm mm. that it takes so much more education on like we couldn't fill up an episode of your podcast on how to take a statin, but we can talk the whole time about like the difference and how many different things that we need to educate people on about psychedelics.
0: Right. Um and what would you say about I'm not yeah, I'm not asking to give medical or legal advice here. Okay. Um I've already disclaimered
1: (laughs) myself. We're good. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, um, should someone find themselves in a place um, like Burning Man where it's, I'm, I've never been a Burning Man, but I'm guessing it's not that hard to source psychedelics. Um, What sort of person maybe should not be doing this?
1: First off, uh, thank you for your question. Uh, If you find yourself at a place like Burning Man and a, random source gives you drugs i would right. say no thank you um for many reasons <laughs> one could be an under cop, undercover cop two more importantly uh they could be very tainted um yeah. how do you so know like how do you do- so there are, there are testing kits <laughs> so i'm there gonna see testing kits. everybody yes. Yeah, so oh amazing Fire- yes besides firesideproject.org go donate to them and use their Psychedelic Helpline Dance Safe is the organization that uh, sells testing kits. It's one of the organizations, but the one that we are most you know familiar with in the psychedelics industry. So you can test your drugs. Is this MDMA or is this part MDMA part fentanyl? You don't know,
0: right. and
1: uh, you know I very often see people maybe very often is a stretch. Well, no, I definitely worked at Zendo, which is a harm reduction tent at burning man. And, you know, people come in and somebody had been come in and had been dosed with something. He doesn't even know what it was. right? And he had been high for a number of days. Right. Number and so of days. like, oh my yes. Gosh. And so you want to know what you're taking. So step one, don't take drugs from strangers. Step two, if you take a drug from strangers, if you ignored me on step one, um, <laughs> test your drugs, um, what was your thing? If we assumed that they actually did take the drugs, what was your question?
0: Well, I was just saying, like, if you find yourself in a place like this, um, and and say, okay, um, maybe you've gotten your you've tested your drugs, you have them from a reliable source, and you feel pretty confident that it is what it is, um, what side of sort of person should not be doing this?
1: There we go. There we go. Okay. So again, yes. Thank you for disclaiming not medical advice. What I can tell you so far is what has and has not been studied and not by any means is this exhaustive, but I'll just, in general, the kinds of people that they are excluding from studies have been people with things like schizophrenia, oh um, bi- bipolar disorder. You laugh. Why are you laughing? you' have schizophrenia.
0: <laughs> well, I'm just saying like getting a psychedelic hope, to a schizophrenic. Oh my gosh.
1: Hope you don't have a schizophrenic listener. <laughs> well, <laughs> Well, I mean, but they are like, here's the thing. We're not sure it's not going to fix schizophrenia. We just don't know. And it is a riskier population because they are already prone to psychosis and psychedelic journeys can feel psychotic, right? Yes. So we try to keep people with, possible psychosis disorders or first three relatives often with psychosis disorders out of the studies so that the studies can be more uniform. However, now that we've got enough safety data, we are moving into studying those populations. So there is now a study at UCSF going on in patients with bipolar disorder, which those patients had previously been kept out of studies. So if you have something like Bipolar, I mean, I know people with bipolar disorder, it has been significantly helpful for them. They did it outside mm. of the medical model. They just happened to do it. It worked amazing for them, right? There is their anecdotal end of one, but they, you know, the people like them have been kept out. So we'll see what the studies say. But if we're going to talk about erring on the side of caution, maybe, re, you know, con- reconsider doing a psychedelic, especially at Burning Man. That's the other thing is like, if you have one of these conditions, maybe Burning Man is definitely not the place to start. Probably not right? a good like, place
0: for you anyway. Right. right, I mean, well, right.
1: not no. You can go to Burning Man, like have fun. But I'm just saying, like, do your psychedelic in a much more clinical setting. There are clinical right. trials for people, like I said, with bipolar disorder. You can do it there, much more safely. I'd much rather if you do have a psychotic episode, you have a trained psychiatrist there. You're in a medical setting, right? Right. So I would say, you know, people who would not want to do this. Random drug you took and then tested, and all that from Burning Man are people with a complicated medical history, you know, and maybe even a first degree relatives with those because schizophrenia, for example, doesn't necessarily come out until your 20s. So, say you're a 21 year old male with family history of schizophrenia, it may be latent, and we don't want to do something that might push you toward that. Um, not that we know that that's happening, right? But just your psyche is not something to be messed with, and so we don't, we'd rather err on the side of caution. Also, if you're taking um, certain, you know, and this is again gets way into the specifics, but like if you're taking antidepressants or uh an MAOI specifically, you know, or certain types of of SSRIs, it, some psychedelics might not work as well. Some psychedelics might be dangerous for you, and so that's where you really need to to take a look at, you know, what you're on. And so the people who are, you know, can just go do whatever they want at the at at these festivals and not to worry. Are probably the people who are taking no drugs, who have no significant personal or family history of um, psychotic-related mental illnesses. And then people who don't, you know, a lot of them raise your heart rate and your blood pressure. So if you've mm. got arrhythmias or if you've got hypertension, probably would not do it outside of a clinically monitored setting.
0: I've found it's sort of surprising to me um, that, like, I'm a little older. I'm 64. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, well, not a lot, but I will say, several people in sort of my generation, which is um, like the 55 to 70 gang, um, take psychedelics. Um, And yeah, (laughs) well, it's sort of, I, 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 um, when I would hear this, I would be like, really? That's interesting. Um, Like I, I, I'd sort of, you know, I, I I did create a site called Aegis, and I find this very ageist of me thinking that, you know, why are people my age doing this? I thought this is something that like, you know, you should be like 20 and doing this, um, but they Who find you think it
1: needs neuroplasticity more.
0: Yeah. 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 I know where you're going with this.
1: <laughs> that's not the only place I was going. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're, well, they're neuroplastogens, that's... right? Like would you rather just let yeah. things wither into, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, or would you like to grow some new neurons? <laughs> well,
0: and it's also the sort of you know rigidity of thinking that can come in at this form of life. And and that seems to be sort of why people are doing this, because they want to sort of break out of whatever that thought pattern is.
1: Well and also you know my guess I have not yet reached that age group but a lot of people in that age group did not grow up with therapy it was not a thing right and so they've got really long standing struggles mentally and then they may think gosh I could just start an antidepressant and there's probably going to be side effects and maybe it'll work maybe not and then they hear these things about psychedelics where um, if they work great, if they don't, there really aren't generally lasting side effects. You might be nauseous during it. That's kind of the, you know, like if you're relatively healthy, there just aren't these same, you know, side effects. Like you see with these antidepressants and most of them are really fun. Generally, you know, or at least there's some fun aspect, even if, you know, in a long ayahuasca journey, maybe half of it's hard, maybe half of it's super fun. Right. There's like, you could have a 10 different feelings in one. Right. And so that's, I think, a. a an attractive feature is like now that they missed a lifetime of therapy and they find out how healing they could be, it may be like, oh, I'd rather catch up and let's just do this thing that's going to get to the core than like, ah, start digging away with some therapy and some, some antidepressants, which is a fine option. But I think that that might be, you know, the fact that these tend to work a little faster, may be attractive. And then the other thing is a lot of the studies that have been done on this, um, initially were done on pe- on patients with end of life anxiety mm. and you know, maybe people in that age group are starting to have a little of end of life anxiety. And then these these very often show you that death is just not something to be feared. Like if you, especially if you go through ego death and then you wake up after the journey, you're still there or the thing you experienced on the other side of ego death wasn't that bad. And you're like, oh, and that's what most of the people in those studies realize like death is not a thing to fear. So I think a lot of those combined are reasons that people in that age group would, you know, be attracted to doing them.
0: Um, Random question, Uh, traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and psychedelics. Any thoughts?
1: Oh, yes. Like I was saying with vets that um, the organization that that has founded, traumatic brain injury uh, is, first off, a lot of the symptoms resemble the symptoms of PTSD. And um, they are finding a lot of success with, I mean, there's one study on it. And if you look up operator syndrome, I believe you'd be able to find the study. But uh, the, so what vets sends people for is Ibogaine and then 5-MeO-DMT, and that's what helped Marcus. He he was like, his traumatic brain injury had gotten so severe, he forgot how to put Christmas lights on his tree. And this is like a fully functioning Navy SEAL for many years, right? And then all of a sudden, like just normal things weren't working. And he had tried every brain retraining all these neuro institutes. And that was what finally brought him back was this Ibogaine 5-MeO-DMT. So there is research on that. And um, I think, you know, you and I had discussed this a little bit before, but I think they are finding an- some anti-inflammatory effects. And a lot of TBI has to do with inflammation. and you know, some of that neuroplasticity, all of that combined, like they are finding that it is, um, that it can be useful. And that's an area that uh, I think we saw in a health, I don't know if they're still around, but they were investigating psychedelics and traumatic brain injury in, um, uh, fighters like UFC and that boxers and that kind of thing. So that is definitely an area that is being investigated.
0: Um, I'm sorry, Marcus,
1: who's Marcus C-A-P-O-N-E, C A P O N E, the founder of vets, the organization of vets Inc. It's called it's veterans exploring treatment solutions. And they're the ones sending, so many, I've lost track of how many, um, uh, former service men and women they've sent for psychedelic healing, but the, the results are impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, uh, one of the things that I've, I've found really encouraging and a bit surprising is that some of the biggest proponents of psychedelic therapy are vets, um, yes. who you, who you as a group tend to be rather conservative and, you know, um, like that and but this there's such a strong track record
1: of this working yeah, yeah they are great. very helpful in us getting legislation passed because if anything crosses the aisles it is veterans yeah. and they are once you've had severe ptsd and something like this dramatically changes your life you want to tell everybody so thank goodness that they do They very often come out and they're, you know, they're used to standing for a cause. And so a lot of them stand up and say, look, I had this healing. We got to get this legislation passed or whatever. And and so they join organizations and they fight for this. You know, like I said, the organization called Vets has been behind a lot of the legislative efforts or at least partnered with them in some way or gone and testified and they hear Marcus's story. And so, yeah, when you hear these very dramatic stories of what, you know, some of our service members have gone through, how ineffective the treatment was, and then how much better they're doing now it's really hard for people on either side of the aisle to ignore it, which is very helpful for everybody outside of the military. Also getting these as legal options.
0: That's wonderful. The um, Marie, what's the name of your podcast?
1: Psychedelic medicine podcast.
0: Awesome. And um, psychedelic medical association. If someone is so inclined,
1: psychedelic medicine association. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's for clinicians. Okay. And so if you are a person who sees patients, so, I mean, we're talking doctor, nurse, nurse practitioner, PA, uh, acupuncturist, Reiki practitioner, like if you have some certification that lets you see patients in some way, then- please join us. Uh, if you are a medical student, a psychiatry student, a therapy student, any student, students are free. Um, and then this may be less applicable. But if you have an organization in the psychedelic space as well, um, please come and join us. But yes, we it is our mission to get you all up to speed so that you can have conversations with your patients about these medicines ketamine currently, but then, you know, psilocybin in Oregon, psilocybin, in, if you want to send them to a clinical trial, you know, there's all kinds of education that you could be giving at this point and then get we'll get you up to speed as best we can and get you involved in psychedelics as, as much or as little as you want to be.
0: I find it just uh, astonishing that I'm speaking to a medical professional who just said, if you want to get involved in psychedelics, I just, I love that.
1: Yeah there's there's room for all of us right you can like by the way i'm going to before i forget psychedelicmedicineassociation.org is our website but if you're if you're a doctor like your patients are going to come asking it is not a matter of if it is a matter of when we did a study in 2021 50% of mental health professionals had already had patients ask. So please get yourself up to speed. You do not want to be the deer in the headlights Googling when somebody comes in and says, can I do psilocybin, right? Like get ahead of it. You know, you want to be prepared and do the best for your patients. Um, so maybe your role in psychedelics is just referring and that is that is enough, right? Like just know enough to refer to a ketamine clinic or to refer to a MDMA-assisted psychotherapy practitioner once it's legal, but you may want to get more involved. I mean, maybe you would like to be a psychedelic assisted psychotherapist maybe you want to run a ketamine clinic like we can help get you in touch with people who can uh, get you further along that path as well so that's why i said get is you know if your involvement is just educating patients we are still very happy about it there's no just if your involvement is educating patients we are extremely happy about that
0: awesome this has been great i i i love um but all the knowledge you just gave me um i I found really enlightening it's really great to have you on
1: I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners. Thanks.
0: Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on the show today. This idea of psychedelic medicine, or I prefer the term neuroplastogen, I think is going to be a very powerful thing in the future, in the very near future. I'm hearing more and more high-level, highly respected science medical people talking about the positive effects of this. So um, big thanks to Lynn Marie. And for anyone who's interested, we're going to be leaving links in the show notes to some of the organizations that she recommended um, for informational purposes. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't recommend anyone do anything that they feel could be illegal, dangerous, harmful, or any of that. And I, I don't give medical advice. And a big thanks to the sponsors who make this program possible Element, LMNT, my favorite electrolyte mix. I use it in the morning, I use it when I work out, and I use it throughout the day to keep myself hydrated and the proper mix of electrolytes. And Timeline Nutrition with their breakthrough product, Mitopure. And also, of course, Inside Tracker, the dashboard to my inner health. We have links and discount codes for all those products. In the show notes below. As always, you have the opportunity to leave us up to a five star review wherever you listen to this program. And you can leave us a comment. We love comments. If you want to contact me directly, it's david at superage.com. Or what we really love is for you to share this program with a couple of your friends, because that's the only way we grow. This next week, uh, we're going to take a break. So we'll be back in the first week of January with a new show. I'm hoping everyone has a wonderful holiday with friends and family and, you know, get some of that Hege warmth going on. Everybody, have a great couple of weeks. We'll see you soon. Bye.